friends, Mary and I's friends, Janice is here, and Janice is really aware of all the Jewish aspects of our faith. So she reminds me to do things, but I'm going to start putting her on the spot. I'm not going to today, but soon. And uh, yeah, and have her share with you each time as we come up with different special feasts and things that are taking place so she can share with you, yeah, this is what's coming up and this is what's happening and this is how it all works. Uh, September the 16th is uh, the first of the uh, autumn feasts. It's, uh, it's actually the new year for the Jewish new year. And it's the day in which we're reminded uh, of the creation of Adam and Eve. It, it's a whole process of pulling us back together and, and the new year being a new beginning. Remind us that God wants to give each one of us a new beginning, get us started correctly and focused upon who he is. And he's provided... Uh, Jesus for us so that he can provide us cleansing from our sins and, and make us new, a brand new creation in him. All these different pictures take place there. And so you try to celebrate that. The Jewish people uh, celebrate this particular feast. Uh, you know, Rosh Hashanah, is that right? Pretty close. Say it correctly for me. Rosh Hashanah. Okay, you got that. If you say it fast, they don't know what you said. Okay, it means head of the year, and uh, it's it's just it's a wonderful time of, for us even to remember and celebration. It's on your calendars, and most of you you'll see it there, and you go, oh, that's what that is. So you might do it. The Jewish people celebrate in a variety of different ways. And what I'm going to do with this one, I'm going to put Janice on the spot. Is next week I'm going to have Janice share a little bit about, you know, what it is that's normally done for this special feast and how that's put together, because that'll still give you a week ahead. So you got that, Janice? You said, I put her on the spot. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. So that's going to happen next week. Um, and that's what I do with people that tell me, Pastor, you've got to remind everybody about this. I go, okay, I'll let you remind them. <laughs> so good stuff. Hey, we are in a special series. It's a series about life. It's called Walking in the Desert. And all of us have times in our life when we are going to have to walk in the desert, where we're going to have to deal with difficult and struggling questions. Uh, the desert is, is a symbol of, of heat and struggle and difficulty, of, of pain and, and lack of control. Uh, for Israel, they, there was no escaping the harsh realities of the desert. They had to walk through it. They had to live in it. They had to deal with it. We're removed from that, but we have different desert times in our lives when, when the weather is harsh and we're just not sure how to handle what it is that's in front of our face and we're struggling with it, and we want to have control over it, and God is telling us, you don't have control, allow me to have control. It's very hard for us to give it up and to give in and allow him to do that, but that's one of the primary reasons that God allows us to be put in these desert positions. I've often said that when suffering, desert times come into our life, usually there's one of three reasons. One is it's a penalty. We did something bad, okay? And we're receiving the penalty for it. It's called, I did that, I'm responsible for it, and I need to pay the penalty for it. So that's sometimes we're in the desert. Other times we're in it because of problems. And sometimes that may be we didn't do good, or it just may be a situation that we're just involved in a variety of problems that simply have come our way that we, like it or not, have to deal with. And then similar to that, the last one is uh, there's providence. It means God has brought this into your life specifically for a purpose to fulfill. So you see the picture of Joseph. And, you know, he's probably the clearest picture in the Old Testament of providence in the midst of all these things. He didn't do anything wrong, but God put him into all these desert experiences so that he could become the man that God needed him to be when he would experience prosperity. 
uh, it was, I think it was Chuck Swindoll um, who shared one time. He said, for every hundred men that can handle penalty and poverty and difficulty, only one can handle prosperity. And I thought, very interesting. Um, I, I tend to agree with him. I think that was God's directive in relationship to Joseph. He had to prepare him for that so that when he was in a position of power and a position of extreme prosperity, uh, that he was able to handle it and deal with it appropriately and not misuse that in his life. So last week we talked about that issue of why not? Coming to the place in our life where we no longer say, God, why did this happen to me? But we begin to say, you know, why shouldn't it happen to me? Why not me? In fact, as we see others struggling with it, we say, Lord, uh, could you bring that into my life? Many of us as parents do that when we see our children go through things. Lord, could you give that to me? And God said, no, that's not yours, that's theirs. They have to go through that. Uh, once we've got to that place where we begin to no longer cry out why, we say, you know, why not? Lord, teach me, guide me, make me aware of it. Then we move to the, what I call the how question. And that's the how do I survive this situation that I'm in? How do I survive? And not only just survive, but how do I bring them out, out of this tough, hard, struggling time, something that's truly good, a character, uh, something wondrous, hope, faith, How do I allow these things to take place in my life, uh, more often than not, directly as a result of what's coming into my life? And that's that's the question that that I really want to deal with today. Uh, The psalmist said it this way, In my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. And he heard me from his sanctuary. My cry reached his ear. And you see, the primary answer when we're in difficulty is really not an answer, it's a person. The primary answer is the presence of a person who is more powerful than any pain that we will ever encounter. And when we cry out to he who understands pain and the one who can bright us with hope, then he hears us and he helps us. And he always comes in time, but usually we think he's late. Hey. He always comes in time, but usually we think he's late. God says, no, 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 I'm not late. It's the, it's the cry of Mary and Martha when Jesus shows up and she says, Lazarus died. Why weren't you here when he was sick? You're late. And Jesus says, oh, I'm not late. I'm not late. And then he goes through the process of raising Lazarus literally from the dead because he had a special purpose in mind uh, for Lazarus. But he was so hurt. You could see the hurt in, in Jesus as he cries and struggles with those around him because they failed to recognize that God is never late, that when you cry to him for help, he will come and he will respond. And if you will listen, you'll hear and you'll grab a hold of the person that you desperately need and Jesus will help you and get you not only through it, but he'll enable you to become the person that he needs you to be for the next step that you're going to encounter in your life. And that's the intention, that's the purpose of these things here. Um, All of us go into those times, you know, you get those phone calls uh, in the middle of the night and they say, there's been an accident and your heart goes up into your throat and you go, oh my goodness, and they say, and your son or your daughter and you're like, that's that sense of, oh no, oh no. Or you, the doctor gives you a call and he says, I want you to sit down. Anytime your doctor calls you and says he wants you to sit down, you know it's trouble, right? 
And he gives out the dreaded word and says, you do have cancer. And now you're going to have to deal with it. And you're like, okay. All right. And you start going through this desert time. Our world gets all shaken up. And oftentimes... um, We find ourselves crying out to God and saying, God, I don't understand this. In my case, I can say, Lord, I'm your pastor. (laughs) Don't you realize? I'm your guy. I gave my life for you. You're not supposed to allow this to happen to me. And God says something like, well, actually, it's the opposite of that. I go, oh, no. That's part of the calling. That's part of what it's about. You need to experience these things in order to become the pastor that I need you to become. So we find ourselves crying out to God and saying, God, are you there? Uh, God, uh, do you care? And then we begin to listen because we say, God, can you do anything about this? Can you help me? And that's the cries that begin to happen. And I want to encourage you, there's some basic paths that we need to walk into, the same ones. All of us have to walk the same path when we find ourselves in this desert experience. God says, walk this path, walk this way, follow along here. Everyone walks down the same path in the times of the desert. And it's rarely a short one. It's not the shortcut. It's, it's a longer path that God leads us on in order for us to understand and to grasp what it is he has for us. And it starts off with this aspect that I call knowing. Knowing. Uh, And the first thing we have to know is that God is a God of order. He's not a God of disorder. He's not a God of chaos. He's a God of peace. He's a God of harmony. He's a God of order. And that's kind of that, that first focus there. We have to know this in our heart of hearts. We have to believe it. We'll move to that in a second. Uh, and then we have to trust in it. But first and foremost, we need to know who God is, this God of order. First Corinthians fourteen thirteen says just that. Our God is a God of what? Order. I go, wow. So what we're saying is that in the mosaic of life, God is putting everything together in that puzzle picture that's coming. Gradually, it'll all make sense. We'll see it all fits perfectly. We don't have to force that piece into place. Instead, we can begin to see little by little by little and it begins to make sense. And so Jesus tells us, one day you'll be with me and you'll be able to stand there and you look at the big picture and you go, oh, now I understand. Now I get it. But God is busy making that mosaic of billions and billions of people. God's a God of order. God is a God of peace. And that is why the cry of the early church was always Aniva Shalom Machaya or Yeshua. And that was that may the peace of Jesus be with you. And when his peace is with us, then we find ourselves enabled to deal with the difficulties and the pain of life itself. May the peace of Jesus be with you. And so it's constantly that cry in the midst of the disorder that we're experiencing. God wants us to experience that shalom, which is more than just peace. It's a peace of completeness. It's a peace that God wants us to be enveloped by. So our help and our healing in the desert begins by understanding, you know, why our disorder and chaos and suffering exists. So the cry of the song is, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? And we begin this process of saying, okay, Lord, um, I'm in this painful time. How do I deal with this? 
And some of you are in a very painful situation, maybe emotionally or uh, psychologically. Some of you are physically in a painful situation. And, and I wish I could just bottle up your pain and take it all away, uh, but that's not going to happen. I don't have that ability. And the reality is God doesn't desire for that to take place in your life. He wants to use the pain that you're experiencing for a specific purpose that he has in mind. He wants you to consider, first of all, how you can endure this with a sense of of perseverance and hope and and a recognition that although we are in an out-of-order world, we have an orderly God that can put everything together. And we can know this truth. The world's broken. But regardless of that, God will provide you with everything you need and will take care of whatever situation you find yourself in so that the greatest good can come out of that. That's the whole cry of Romans chapter 8 with Paul. Paul is trying to share with the Roman people while he's in jail and in what appears to be a a terrible situation. He's saying, no, it's not at all. You have to understand that what I'm experiencing, what you're experiencing is intended for us to experience by God. God has allowed this to come into our life so that he can use us to accomplish his purpose. And the cross is the, is the vivid example of that to everybody. It appeared to be the worst possible thing that could happen, but in reality it was the best possible thing that could happen. He becomes our paschal or our suffering lamb. He suffers for us so that we can be released from our suffering in terms of sin and be placed in a position of eternal life with God forever at a point in time after we accomplish the purpose that we have down here. And God is saying, if I had to do that in order to accomplish my purpose, surely you have things you can allow to have done in your life to accomplish the purpose I have for you. It will not be anywhere near as severe as that was Jesus had. How will you respond to the difficulties when they come your way? So he says you need to embrace your trials and in the midst of them say, okay, God, make me aware of what it is I need to understand, what I need to know about you as this God of order. That suffering and pain itself has no clear meaning in terms of how I respond to it, but that you as a person can provide within me in my mind and in my heart, the ability to take this and it can actually bring about something good. It's a picture of a fertilizer, the result being a wonderful plant that grows twice the amount that it would have without the fertilizer. And that's the picture of pain and struggle in our life. God is saying, this is the fertilizer for you to become what it is that I need you to become. I am a God of order. This did not happen by chance. This is happening to you so that you can respond to it and become what it is that I intended for you to be all along. Genesis, Adam and Eve, they follow sin's direction out of the Garden of Eden. They open the door to evil and sin. It falls into us and we find ourselves in this state of fear. And God is saying, you need no longer to fear because I will be with you. And that I as a person have experienced all the suffering that you could ever experience... And I have handled it and brought good out of it. I want to do the same thing in your life. It's not that God invented uh, you know, cars and guns and all the things that bring destruction into our life because of the lifestyle we've chosen. But that God is saying, despite the fact that these things can be used for good or evil, I myself will even out of evil use them for good. 
And that's the primary picture. He says you need to know that God is able to fit everything together. That there were angels watching over you in the midst of that destructive situation. There were God's handle trying to bring protection or appropriate response to you in that very difficult, difficult time. And as we know that and know who God is, then we find ourselves able to live in a world filled with suffering and pain and respond to it in such a way that God begins to show himself in our lives. Does that make sense? And I know it's not an easy thing for any of us. It's not easy for me in in the times that God has brought through in my life. Uh, But once we grab a hold of this in this desert time, that we know who God is. He's a God of order. He's a God of intention. That I begin to say, okay, I can deal with this uh, issue here. And so instead of saying, why is the weather so bad today? We find ourselves saying, why should we have good weather? Why should there be any good weather? And God is saying, because I make sure that there's sufficient good weather wherever you're at. Although some in Minnesota might not agree with me on that statement. I know I wouldn't while I was living there. But but it's amazing what you learn to deal with. But not only that, what you learn to use for good, even in relationship to weather situations. Paul talks about that every believer's grown with the fallen creation and we all wait for the redemption of our weak and dying bodies. Even the earth itself is groaning and waiting for that point in time in which they'll be able to be reunited with God's intention and plan and no longer be growing with all the weeds and disorder and destruction and earthquakes and all this stuff that's around us that God never intended but that we brought into the world. So God causes everything to work for the good of those who love him, of those who are called according to his purpose. He's a God of order. He's not a God of confusion. He's a God desires for us to understand who he is. I put it this way. It's not God's fault, but it may very well be his plan. It's not God's fault, but it may very well be his plan. And when we begin to see that in those desert places, we begin to say, okay, God, I recognize who you are, and I'm not afraid of that which is coming my way. And he removes fear from our life, and we begin to respond to him, and our help and healing begins to happen as we know that the ultimate peace from chaos is only found in Christ himself. So that's kind of the beginning. God helps us through desert times as we see him as the provider of peace. And I want you to get that. He's the provider of peace. Peace doesn't come through uh, pleasant situations. It may appear to. That's quiet. That's not peace. God says, I will provide you with my peace. Peace that the world doesn't understand because the world can't make it. But I can provide you with this remarkable, amazing peace. Okay? When you recognize that I am the provider of that, I am a God of order. And if you lift your eyes to me, I will begin to pull things together. Okay? Uh, Then our help and our healing continues when we know that this peace from chaos is is found in Christ himself. 
The scripture says, he who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. And if I was looking at that verse, I would circle guide and lead and recognize, you see, that, that God wants to show me the path and direction that I'm supposed to go in when I'm in the midst of this desert situation. I had my knee operated on a few years ago. And when the doc went in, he said, okay, Lee, you got two options. And I said, okay, what are the options? He said, well, the first option is I'll go in and I'll take out all the cartilage. I'll clean everything up. He said, and I'll tighten the band that you have here that holds your knee in. And, and I'll just leave everything alone. I'll just kind of tighten it up a little bit. And he said, it'll take you about, oh, three, maybe four weeks, and you'll be pretty good, in pretty good shape. But your knee won't be as strong as it was before it was hurt. He said, but there's another option. I said, well, what's that? He said, I will take, I'll take a piece of, of ligament from a different spot of your body. I didn't like that sound. <laughs> and I will put it over in this spot here, and I will actually make your knee area stronger than it was before, before you did it. And I said, how long will that take to heal? And he said, about eight weeks. Which one do you think I went with? Now I went with a four, baby. I said, forget. Just, I'm okay. I'm 45. It's good enough. I don't need to have a strong one anymore. It's a good excuse when my boys want to play basketball. Oh, sorry, the knee's not too good, son. Otherwise, I would kick your tail. Okay? It's a great line. You give to them. I use it to this day. They go, oh, yeah, you know, got wobbly knee, huh? Yeah, otherwise, you guys would be in real trouble. Yeah, when they moved to the spot where I was no longer able to even come close to whooping on them, uh, that was a great line to fall through. Um, you see, the question in our life becomes more the issue of God can bring good out of evil. How much good do we want him to bring out of it? You know, how much good do you want him to bring out of it? And the time that you're willing to put into it will oftentimes determine what the good will be. Four weeks or eight weeks? Four weeks or eight Most of us pick four. Right? Because it's just really hard there. Your pain can be productive. How productive depends on you. So no matter what we're going through, no matter how painful it is, no matter how hard it is to navigate, God said, I will guide you and I will lead you to a place of hope and of comfort and of understanding, but you have to follow me. So we have a new hope in this person that's been chosen by God to accomplish a task that he didn't think or she didn't think she could accomplish prior to that time, and you are that person. And God says, what are you willing to give up? What time and effort are you willing to put in in order to accomplish what I want to do in your life? It's not God's fault this is happening, but it can be part of God's plan. So we know he's a God of order. We know that he's a God who puts all things together. We know that he is a God who will guide us and lead us. And then the last concept here in terms of knowing is that our help and healing is fulfilled when we know that in the desert we will never walk alone. And I think this is the strongest thing as I deal with people going through desert times. The biggest thing that has been such a comfort to me is that when I am in times of the desert, whether it be dealing with cancer or dealing with struggles with my my children in some way or another, it's, there's this incredible awareness that God is really close to me. It's like God's sitting on my lap. In reality, I'm sitting on His, is what's going on. And it's, it's this, this sense of, God, I just am so, and 
I'm, suddenly I'm aware that I'm speaking to my Father who is hearing and listening and holding me and comforting me and making me aware that He understands that I can't deal with this. But He can. And that's the time we build intimacy with God, with the Father, with Jesus. And we find ourselves gaining this knowing. I know God is this way. Not I think. I know who God is. I know He's a God of order. I know He's a Father of compassion. He's the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our trouble so that we can comfort others who are in trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. So we're all aware that there's this evil force in this world that wreaks havoc in our lives and throughout every one thing we have to deal with. And although we allowed evil to come into the world through Adam and Eve, God limits its power. He restrains it. So Thessalonians tells us the power of evil is already working in the world, but there's one who is halting that power, who is restricting that power, and he'll continue to restrict it until such a time as it's, he is taken out of the way. Uh, we won't get into that particular area there too much, except to say that God isn't finished with us or with the world yet. He's busy working in it, and he's putting everything together. So the key is don't give up. Continue to persevere. And as you do, in these desert times, knowing who God is, God will bring you through this to the next thing. Jesus said it this way, Come unto me, all you who are, what? Yeah, weary, heavy laden. Not all you who are happy and full of joy. That's not what he said. Weary and heavy laden. And I will give you what? Yeah, rest. And the word for rest there is peace. Shalom. That's what he means. I will provide you with that. And I'll place it into your life. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Recognize it for what it is. Uh, and some of you, uh, I see in the midst of tough times and the pastor shows up and, and you're sharing with me and you're saying, you know, pastor, I just don't think I can believe that God is in the midst of this anymore. I just don't think I can really believe that he's going to turn this into good. I just can't believe that all this is happening for any kind of purpose that's got any good in it at all. And my response to you sometimes will be, well, just let me pray for you and I'll believe for you. And the most of you say, okay. And then I'll pray. And in the midst of that prayer, more often than not, the presence of the person who is Jesus comes in the midst and he begins to bring tears and he begins to bring understanding. And he brings this wonderful, glorious peace and we begin to understand he's the person who will guide us and lead us provide for us take care of us and we know him when he comes we almost say Jesus is here (laughs) well he was always there but until we get the pain we tend not to recognize and embrace the peace that he wants to give us. Okay? So that's kind of the first thing, knowing. Okay? We have a God uh, who is a God of order and not a God of chaos. He's a God of peace and harmony. and or- He puts broken things together. And he'll walk with us. 
He's a God of shalom. He's a God of peacefulness, of wholeness. And that's his desire. So that's where we start. Now, so you think, oh, we're done. No, 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 that's where we start. Knowing this. Once we know these things, then we move to the place where we talk about what we believe. See, knowing is this, I know, I know. But believing is, this is what God has said. And so I find myself focusing on the promises of God and recognizing that I believe that God will bring shalom into my life so we can also bring shalom into others' lives through me. That one of the purposes of blessing us is so that we can bless others. Now, all those who went on the Africa trip totally understand what I'm saying. They totally get it. Because in that experience, you, you realize how much you have in your heart, how much you have in all that you are, in your health. And it's like you just find yourself overwhelmed with a desire to hold and to hug and to help. You don't even think about it. You just do it. And it's all day long. And then you go home and you go, I can't wait till tomorrow. And we get to do it again. And that's the wonder that takes place in the midst of what we call mission. But see, God wants us to have that wonder of mission here as well. And if we believe that we don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility we consider others better than ourselves. Do you see the picture that's going on? Paul's trying to tell us if you want to know the peace of God, if you want to know the, the power and the presence of God, then you have to determine, like God does, that you are not as important as they are. It's not that you are unimportant. You need to take care of yourself. Jesus always says, love others as you love yourself. You need to continue to, to give yourself appropriate responses but you don't get caught up in selfish ambition. Instead, you find yourself looking to others that God places in your path that you are called to minister to, that you are called to give support and strength to. Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we live fully, moment by moment, depending on the one who provides and the one who protects and the one who sustains you see, that's kind of the next section of understanding the promises of God. I will provide for you, I will protect you, and I will sustain you. We move from being self-centered to becoming servant-centered. Terribly difficult to do, folks. Really hard. I am naturally self-centered. I am spiritually servant-centered. And so, when I am in the midst of extreme trouble, I find myself becoming less self-centered and more servant-centered. He comforts us so we can comfort others. We, we learn to practice the one-anothers. There's 40 different one-anothers in, in the New Testament. You're to love one another. You're to submit to one another. You're to care for one another. You're to bear one another's burdens. It goes on and on and on and on. In fact, if you want a little study, go on, do that. Sit down and say, okay, Lord, show me what it is I'm supposed to be doing one to another. And look through those, those sections of Scripture. And as we are involved in that one another's, then God provides for us a place where he plants us so we can have a home of our own. Where we can have a home of our own. No longer just a house, but a home. And in the midst of this desert process, God says, okay, I'm going to move you 
in the midst of your desert to your home. And you'll find this, this wonderful place where you no longer feel isolated, where you can handle suffering and struggling because I'm home. The most difficult thing about being on a mission trip is not being on the mission trip. It's not having a place to go home to. And that's why we embrace it so strongly when you come back after two or three weeks. Oh, by the way, Marty Hooper says hi from Hong Kong. He called me last night. Pastor Lee. Anytime I get weird numbers on my phone, I know Marty's calling me from somewhere. Sure enough, Hong Kong, hey, Pastor Lee, you're having a wonderful time. I've been sharing this over here, and this thing is going on here, and that thing's going on there. People are coming to know Christ, and I'm involved in pastoring these pastors, and I'm going to turn 74, September the 9th. So they threw a big party for me, and I'm going, 74? And he said, yeah, I'm claiming Genesis 6. 120 years. <laughs> I said, well, the way you're going, I don't doubt you're going to get it. He is the youngest 74-year-old I've ever ran into. Wow. And the face is stuff, and he's just going, yeah, it's just, he's so servant-centered. We believe that God takes us to the desert to shape us and to enable us to bring shalom to others. See, that's the belief that begins to happen. That God is with us, we're not alone. And if God is with us, then who can be against us? If God is in the midst of this, anyone who tries to be against us is simply beating their head against a wall. Because the God who created all things, the God who is, has... We saw those marvelous pictures of creation. You know, we look over to the galaxies and we go, Oh my goodness, look what God has done. This is incredible. He says, if that God is for you then anyone who's against you has already been defeated. And if your teacher's against you, if your boss is against you, a former work associate, maybe even your spouse or an ex-spouse, that doesn't matter. If God is for you, it doesn't really matter who is against you. Your focus should be on the fact that God is for you. He will protect you. He will sustain you. As you stay in this desert situation until he accomplishes that which he wants to accomplish through you. So we become this desert people. We're hurting. We're needy. But we know that God will provide everything we need. All of our water. All of our manner. He will be a provider and a protector and a sustainer. So Deuteronomy says he gave you manna in the desert. Something your fathers had never known. To humble you. And to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. That that verse would be, I'd circle, in the end. In the end, it will go well with you. That's that picture of perseverance. You stay at it. You continue to do as God has directed you. You follow the promise. You don't try to escape. You don't try to get away. And then in the end, it will go well with you. And for me, the favorite picture is I go back to Joseph. And I go, well, okay, I haven't had anywhere near bad as he did. But look what happened in the end. I go, okay, Lord, I'm looking forward to the end. Sometimes I cheat. I go to the end of some books I read. Every now and then I got to admit to you, I'll go to the end and go, okay, good. Okay, they made it. <laughs> and I go back and go back to my thing. Okay, I know I made it. Because I hate those endings where they all die. I toss the book. There. They, go, oh, they all died. Forget it. I'm not reading any more of this thing. In the end. It will go well with you. So we find ourselves not 
coming up with the idea that we're not going to have any problems, or we're not going to have any struggles, but that God will use those problems and struggles to show us that he's the one we need to focus on for a protector and for a provider, not ourself. That you are not in control. I am not in control. None of us are in control. There's no such thing. That is a false image. And if you depend upon him, the one who can control, then you will discover what it is that he has for you. God is using the desert to work for our own good. So who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us everything we need? You see, the cry of Christianity is this, that God enters into the middle of the hell that we create. That's our God. He's a God who says, I know you created this, but I'm going to enter into it with you and walk with you. And in the midst of this, I will provide for you and I will use this to bring about remarkable things in your life that would never take place in any other way or manner. And we believe that. We believe that. We proclaim that our God was born a baby in a bloody stable and that he lived a life befriending prostitutes and lepers that no one else could or would befriend, that he suffered a hellish death that's nightmarish in human existence. And this gospel portrayal of God is the only thing that makes sense of this world that is at one time so beautiful and the other time so ugly. That at one time we look at this wonderful baby and we're, we're just, wow, God, thank you so much. And a little grace and growing up and we're going, this is so wonderful. And at the other end, the baby dying. And saying, why, God? Why? And God says, why not? Don't you understand? I bring the good weather, not the bad. But there are times when I choose to allow this to happen. And one day you'll understand why, but right now you need to know who I am. And once you know who I am, then you can believe what I have said, the promises I've laid out. And after you believe that which I have done, and you begin to understand the desert is the context that God challenges us to trust His Word over and over and over again. That's the place. It's easier for me to trust God's word when things are going great. It's not difficult. It's a piece of cake. But when things are going poorly, that's when I begin to say, well, God, I'm not sure that I really believe that promise. And so God responds. So we learn that we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And Paul goes on talking about the difficulties and the struggles. And as I deal with people over and over, they're going through cancer and death and devastation of their children, of their parents. We find ourselves again and again back to Psalm 23 where it says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? You are with me. The person of Jesus walks with me. Because I don't understand. 
When you're in the midst of pain and struggle and difficulty, you don't understand. So you have to know and you have to believe in the character of God, that our God is good, that our God is God of order, that our God is a God of harmony. That is, just as Jesus became the Paschal Lamb, the Lamb of suffering, so He will use our suffering for good. So we know and we believe, and then we begin to trust. And that's the last path. So there's a knowing path, there's a believing path, and there's the path of trust. And by the way, they're kind of all intermingled. It's, it's not a linear thing. Men like to do linear things. I like to do linear stuff. But it's really kind of no trust, believe, no, believe, believe, no, trust. It goes all over the place. And that's the path. If it was just straight, it would be a lot easier. But it's not. It's all over the place. And it circles and it comes back and it circles and it comes back. And in the process, God says, here's the path I have for you. And as you wander down it, as you walk resolutely down it, then you find yourself in the midst of trusting. We don't know why he leads us into the desert, but we know that he will not leave us there. He will not leave us there. It's the Lord who led you to humble you and to test you. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. We didn't see God's footprints. We didn't understand it. But God was leading, so we began to to follow it. There's times when you're hurting and you just don't feel like doing anything. You don't want to go to church. You don't want to be encouraged. You don't want to talk to friends. You don't want to open the blinds. You want to take a gallon of really good ice cream. You get any idea? Some of us want to take a fifth of really good scotch. We want to have a bottle of really good wine. And God is saying, you know something? That will not bring comfort to you. Do not trust in those things. Listen, you'll hear me even if you don't see my footprints. Joni Erickson taught us said, um, God does not give advice. I, I don't know if you know Johnny or not. Johnny is a quadriplegic. Early on, she had a diving accident. She responded and rejected God's directive, finally turned to him, and God began to use her in marvelous ways that he never could have done while she was able to walk on two feet, by the way. No way. And she's fully aware of that. And so she says this statement. She says, God does not give advice in relationship to suffering. He does not give reasons or answers. He does one better. He gives himself. He said, God wrote a book on suffering and he called it Jesus. I said, wow. And that's why God is good. He's good because he gives himself. In the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain, God shows up and gives us a peace if we're willing to grasp it. And he'll give us guidance and direction that we will resist. But we must learn to follow. God is not getting back at you. It's not because of something you did. It's because God desires at this point in time to use this situation and this pain to bring about a stronger need. Will you or won't you is the question. Will you allow him to do what he needs to do? Will you trust him in the midst of this? God wants to reveal to you what's in your heart and to show you the fallacy that you begin to depend on yourself. It's that parable that Jesus talks about in Luke 12, 16. And the parable is, look it, I have all this stuff and I've grown all this crop and I'm getting richer and richer. What do I do? I'll build a bigger barn to store more of my crops. And then I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll do this. 
And God wasn't against him about planning. What his problem was is it was all about me. It was I, I, I. Instead of God, what do you want me to do with your extra crops? What is it that you have provided this for? How is it that I'm supposed to use this for you? See, that's the cry of God in the midst of the desert. He says, and if you don't hear me in the midst of the pleasure, then I will help you to hear me in the midst of the pain. In this case, it said the next day he died. So now what will he do with his crops and all his stuff? It's gone. You're done. Other people will take care of it instead. The cry of God is that you must learn to trust me. Humble yourself and I will feed you with manna enough for you. Provide everything you need. And if I give you more, it's in order that you might be able to give to others around you that I will provide you with. Your clothes won't wear out. Your feet won't swell. But know this. Know in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. It's interesting. It was Deuteronomy 8. I, it was shared in Hebrew, so I didn't catch it. I didn't know it was actually in Deuteronomy that God, first of all, laid that picture for us. That God puts you in the desert, allows you to go through these situations so that you might understand that he loves you, so that he can strengthen you, enable you to be the person that God wants you to be. Or as James put it, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Okay? Here's that kind of the final thought here. We're going to ask the team to come up to lead us in a couple of final songs here. Um, God is always working. He's not finished in our lives. And when we are struggling and when we are suffering, we have to learn in the midst of that that God wants us to trust Him. Because in the midst of struggle, emotion tends to outweigh any sense of logic. C.S. Lewis wrote The Problem of Pain. Great book. Logical book on the issue of pain. Why this is happening. It's wonderful to read when you're not in any trouble. Okay? You'll go, this makes so much sense. C.S. Lewis finished the book. And he was he's actually 50. And he met this wonderful young lady. American. He's British. And he, she had cancer. And he married her in the hospital fully aware that she was going to die. So much in love. And she recovered. And they were able to live together for a couple of years. And then the cancer came back and she died. And he shares in another book (laughs) that he writes afterwards called A Grief Observed. He portrays his grief and his pain and his crying out to God, saying, God, why did you ever allow me to experience such love and pleasure and then take it away from me? In the midst of this incredible, excruciating pain, he said, all the words of wisdom that I'd written meant nothing. Nothing. All I felt was the pain. And God says, as he brought C.S. Lewis back, find that place. I want you to experience my peace. In the midst of your emotions, in the midst of your struggle, I want you to experience my peace. And that, that is the cry of God in the desert. Talking about knowing, talking about believing, and talking about trusting. And that's the path that we're called to walk on 
when we choose to have God speak to us in the desert. Okay? So the answer to the problems of desert living is a person. It's allowing Him to come into your life and to provide you with everything you need because His grace is more powerful than anything that we will ever encounter. And that's what God wants to teach us about our desert times. We're going to close now. We've got a special little uh, media thing I'm going to show and then the group's going to lead us in, in a final song or two. And I want you to think about this. And as you're doing that, you may want to write down something in terms of a prayer request. If you have, you might set aside your offering, get it ready, because you're going to take the offering once we get ready to do this song. Um, watch and listen as the media is, is shared with you. And let God speak to you. Because one thing Jesus reminds us over and over again, when you're in those really tough times, this is what I want you to do. He said, remember me.